Hello and welcome to Classical Guitar Beyond. We've got a great guest today, the French guitarist Thomas Viettel. He was actually, well, he just finished it. He's now a doctor from Eastman. He uh, completed his doctorate of musical arts uh, under the tutelage of Nicholas Calusis and Paulo Tet. Um, it was funny. I actually never got a chance to meet him. Um, I was just heading over uh, to L.A. for my studies for undergrad when he was coming in to Rochester for his doctoral studies. But uh, I shot him a message and asked if he'd be interested in me on the podcast. And he said, sure. And just a super interesting person and really friendly guy, as you'll hear from this interview. I'm really glad that it worked out for me to... Uh, catch an interview with him before he uh, moved over to Baltimore. Viettel's musical journey did not start in a typical way. At the age of six, Tomas's father handed him a violin and tried to teach him how to hold the bow. Faced with a total lack of interest, Viettel immediately gave up. At 10 and 11, he taught himself the recorder and harmonica, but found himself with the same disinterest as the violin. It wasn't until Viettel was 12 that he chose the guitar. After seeing a pop musician play both the harmonica and the guitar at the same time on television, he joined the local music school to try out an instrument untouched before. Holding a fretboard for the first time, he instantly bonded with it. Reading through all the studies he could put his hands on with disconcerting ease, his first teacher had no choice but to see him twice a week right from the start. From this moment on, things happened quickly. While pursuing his studies, both academically and musically, he sailed with his family from Provence to Barcelona and back to Paris. In less than eight years, he completed more than 10,000 hours of practicing on the guitar. Less than 10 years after starting the guitar, at the young age of 21, he flew to the U.S. and won first prize at the renowned Guitar Foundation of America competition. Then, just as suddenly as he started, and perhaps due to an overdose of playing, he decided to put the guitar back in its case. After five silent months, he realized how his instrument was a necessary part of his life. He flew to Canada to record his first CD with Noxos before starting a 50 concert tour of North America. Now, after more than 10 years touring the world, a book, CDs, international broadcasting degrees, he is more passionate about it than ever. He completed his Doctoral of Musical Arts in 2018, and in 2019, he will join the guitar faculty at the Peabody Institute, John Hopkins University in Baltimore. To proceed our interview, we will listen to an excerpt from his Knoxville's recording made as part of his GFA prize. This is Clown Down by the great Rolandians, one of Tomas's teachers. Thank you. 
ago we had flag gorbach on the show yeah. and he was our first gfa winner mm -hmm. <laughs> and now we've got our second gfa winner so welcome it's great to have you great great to be here <laughs> and i was looking at your bio before today and i was just amazed to read that you were only playing guitar for 10 years mm -hmm. when you won the competition uh, is that yes, correct like wow this, yeah that's yeah, crazy I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of hours and uh, not so much time but uh yeah <laughs> Woo! i can only imagine i'm not going to ask that dreaded question of how many hours were you practicing because i'm sure you get that all the time but... um well i mean you know uh it really uh i didn't stop by practicing six hours a day obviously but when i was 12 i really just uh, I, I started when i was 12 and i really loved it right from the start so i was doing maybe an hour a day yeah uh which you know most beginners don't don't really do that it's more uh, like 10 minutes a week. Yeah, there you go, yeah. <laughs> At least my students. So, no, my students too. <laughs> and um, so I just, I don't know, I, it never really was a problem for me to practice lots. Uh, and then by the time I was 17, 18, that's all I was doing, basically. I mean, I was in high school too, but uh, I didn't really go out, you know, like with all my friends. They were like, oh, let's go out, let's party. I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's just practicing. Very dedicated. And, yeah, I mean, it wasn't fun. It really wasn't. But... Uh, I was studying with Alberto Ponce back then, and then mm. Roland Diaz and Alvaro Pieri, and they were pretty uh, strict teachers, you know. So I, yeah, had, I, I had to practice. <laughs> is that Alberto yeah, Ponce? Ponce? Yeah. Is he related to the composer uh, Ponce, no, or no, no, just no, no. Had nothing to, say. to do? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'd be curious, uh, and I'm sure many other listeners would be curious to hear your take on practice in general because obviously you had to put in a ton of hours mm -hmm. of work but as you said it wasn't just you started you're doing eight hours a day mm -hmm. what what do you think is the most important part uh behind practice and if uh, you have any like big words of wisdom for making the most of your time since it's hard because yeah. yeah it's what you said making the most of your time this is the most important thing uh, not to waste any time um you have to when you practice something you have to always fix something you know so you don't, you can't just sit there for half an hour repeating the same thing, hoping it'll just get better, you know. Uh, so you have to be conscious of everything that you're doing and what you don't like and how to fix it. Uh, it's a lot of it is problem problem solving, mm -hmm. um, if you will. Um, you have to f find the solutions uh, quickly, and that takes, you know, like it, it depends on the people. Some people spend, you know, like an hour finding one solution, and some people spend, you know, two minutes. Um, I don't know if you can really uh, learn how to do, I mean, you can learn how to do this at some point, you know, but uh, 
I've seen, you know, like Judicale, for example, it just solves problems uh, like intuitively, kind of. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot when I was studying with him, you know, for, on that side. But at the same time, I know like he's got something that I don't, you know. It's kind uh, of that part. a skill you just have to. Yeah, yeah, learn maybe by it's a skill. I don't know. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can you can get better at it because I did, you know. But uh, on some levels, like looking at him, for example, I know there's something uh, just uh, in it about uh, that too, you know. Yeah. Understanding the instrument and uh, knowing what to uh, solve, basically. And I find for myself, when you let go of a piece for a bit and then you return to it, not that, oh, if you stop practicing mm -hmm. it for three weeks and you get back, it's going to be better. But I find if I have a fresher perspective, I'll just start seeing yeah. problems that I had no idea that yeah. I actually had. Yep. It'll be almost like a snap of the finger. Yeah, for sure. For, Sometimes you get too close. You know? Yeah. When you just practice all the time, the same little thing, you get you have to uh, let go yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You get uh, really <laughs> obsessed, you know, with the de details that don't really matter, and you just end up wasting time. So sometimes it's a good idea, yeah, yeah. to just like take some distance and. Uh, yeah, and I've been taking some mixing classes at my school, and uh, one of my teachers, Andrew Garver, really phenomenal. Uh, mostly known for his mastery work, he's done mastery work for Doobie Brothers, Michael Jackson, but great uh, mixing engineer as well. He talks about how once you get a good mix, sometimes you just gotta let it go, you know, because. Yeah. He said that was one of the yeah. best but most hard lessons he learned. Mm. He was in the studio. He had a great mix at 9 p.m. That was probably ready to go in for mastering. But he and uh, he and uh, the producer just kept tweaking things, thinking, oh, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a half decibel more on the vocals, or maybe yeah. we're hitting the compressor a yeah, bit yeah. too hard, all that stuff. And then before you know it, it was 7 in the morning, and the whole mix was f you uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> he was, he yeah. said that it was a great lesson I learned, because yeah. he did it. I think he had the same files from the 9 p.m. session. Sometimes you just got to let yeah. go and let it be. Yeah, probably sounds good. Yeah. Plus then your ear just get tired and yeah, you can't really hear anymore. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's fascinating uh, hearing him talk about music compared to uh, uh, an instrumentalist uh, yeah. in regards to mastery. I'd love to have him on the show sometimes. He talks yeah, about how when he's doing mastery work, People ask him, oh, how is that song? Because sometimes it'll be from a famous musician. And he'll say, yeah. I have no idea. I didn't listen to it. You know, it's just a total different way of listening to yeah. music. You know, just listening for these uh, certain frequencies and mm -hmm. everything like that. And it, it's yeah. an art in itself. And yeah, it really is. It's definitely, I haven't been doing mastering, but I've been doing a little bit of mixing, uh, which I know is a surprise because some of these episodes, the, the sound quality hasn't been as well as I hoped <laughs> it's getting better it's getting better but um, it's tough uh, to listen as both a guitarist and as a mixing engineer yeah you know it's well it's uh, maybe a guitarist you mean classical musician because we're always trying to get the purest sound absolutely and when you mix something especially pop music you just want something to cut through a mix and uh, you usually don't really use pure sounds yeah uh, you have to cut some frequencies out of like absolutely different instruments which we don't do in classical music I guess what I find really interesting with classical instruments is the sound we produce because we're such um, uh, technicians with yeah. the, the sound and the total characteristics of our instruments and nails and everything we pretty much watch just a actual representation of that sound well yeah. if you talk to acoustic musicians electric musicians they 
to pad on post production to create yeah. their sound. Yeah, sure. Not always, and, and they're, I'm not putting them down at all. No, no, as no. But it's, it's, it's just it's a different way sound, of yeah. approaching. Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, well, it's it's two different worlds, you know. Speaking of sound, I've got to ask. You've got one of the most beautiful tones I've heard, especially coming from a Smallman guitar. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, you, have you been playing out of Smallman for quite a uh, while? Yeah, 12 years now. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it, I, I'd be curious to hear how you approach maybe with nails or just in general with total production because some people on Smallman sound fantastic like you. And then I've heard some people on Smallman say just do not know how to play the instrument correctly it's yeah. just way too bright and punchy mm-hmm. it's, yeah uh, uh well it's a it's a special instrument and it's really reactive um and it's super fast in the attack you know so you really have to adapt your your whole playing basically when i play on the more traditional instrument now i sound super quiet you know hmm. um and on this moment you really have to uh control the attack like all the angles and the nails it's super important because everything is very obvious um so but uh, the tone was really like uh when i worked with alberto ponce for three years at the Ecole normale in paris every single week it was like tone 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 like if you missed like just one note out of like the beautiful tone that he was looking for he would like grunt you know really yeah wow (laughs) were you Uh, played out of smallman back then no 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 no. uh i started playing on smallman uh 2006 that was like 2003 4 just when you won Uh, gfa or uh yeah yeah the year before gfa okay yeah yeah yeah, um, probably that approach, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you have target. to get obsessed with tone, you know, you really do. Um, because tone is super important for us. It's the first thing people hear, you know. I think it's everything. Uh, yeah, it really is. I mean, uh, the right hand and the tone. Uh, so you you have to practice it almost like the fingerings, you know, for yeah. the left hand. It's not so obvious, but you really have to uh, put it in the work. It's not just something you add at the end of the, all your work, you know, like or something that's absolute, like you have good nails, so you have good tone. It's really something like... Because tone is the attack, really, you know. There's many different attacks. Um, the way to actually pluck the string, so you have to practice this w- when you practice the piece, basically. Yeah, no, it's so uh, great to hear someone articulate that into words. I haven't heard something like that for quite a while. Hmm. I, I kind of, when I think about it, I kind of feel toned in ways, and I don't want to say neglected, because a lot of guitarists have fantastic tone. Hmm. But you'll hear some guitarists who generally have a good tone and then all of a sudden it'll just go really bright and I don't mm-hmm. think it was on purpose, you know? Well, that's, that's I mean... <laughs> and it could be an effect. Yeah, that or, could be or an just effect. a mistake, but you know, it's yeah. it's, uh, it's very hard to control the tone Absolutely. all of the time, so... I feel tone and vibrato don't yeah. get enough attention for the guitar. Yeah, maybe. In general. Yeah, sometimes. Not, yeah. not towards you at all. No, 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 <laughs> but, but I mean... It could get also a bit uh, over... Uh, you know, people get obsessed with it. I mean, the tone, you know, it's important, but at the same time, you have to also be a little freer when you play the music. You don't want to just have the whole music just be about tone, you know, and that's also a problem. Sometimes you hear people just really want this beautiful tone and they kind of forget, you know, like just some raw aspects of the music, maybe, you know, like uh, imitating a flamenco guitarist, for example, or just uh, popular musicians in South America or things like this, you know, which have... Uh, very very different tone colors um, and uh, I, what I'm really thinking about right now and you know I do not mean this I doubt he's listening 
but just in case I do not mean this in any sense to be a criticism, and it's part of what makes him such an amazing player, David Russell has one of the kind of warmest, roundest yeah. tones ever, and it's just gorgeous. And yeah. I think part of it's his guitar playing on the dominant, just a very dark, mm-hmm. warm double top. But it, as you're saying, like, it, it just kind of stays that same warm tone it's kind of obsessed with that sound and we don't really get these total uh yeah, maybe yeah. contrast mm-hmm. you know maybe dynamics could be a way to describe it you know mm-hmm. imitating flamenco guitar or imitating different instruments and stuff and i he's he's one of my heroes and i absolutely yeah, love amazing. his tone mm-hmm. but i sometimes wonder what would his concerts be like if yeah the majority of the sound was this amazing tone he has but maybe he starts integrating some other things. I, I wonder if it's partly guitar or just the way he plays. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a, it's a tradition we have to, you know, we have to make a beautiful music and uh, and it's it's uh, it's ingrained in our DNA now, you know, as, as, uh, as classical guitar players. But maybe uh, sometimes, you know, we should just let go of that and uh, you know, depending on the music, obviously, you know, uh, some of my favorite concerts to watch is when the performer just lets go. Yeah. Where they have the potential and they do play with this beautiful tone, but mm-hmm. they aren't afraid to just go for yeah. it and yeah. buzz because of overplaying yeah, and yeah, just sure, crazy yeah. Ponticello, mm-hmm. the crazy Dolce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it can be really exciting. And of course, yeah, it really is, yeah. you have to be careful not to overdo it. Well, um, you still want to, you know, like get all the notes there so people can understand what yeah. you're doing, you know, but, uh, and understand the music basically, mostly. But yeah, I mean, you know, a concert is, uh, for, for example, for a CD, you might want to be a little more controlled, you know, but, um, live music needs to be kind of raw a little bit, you know, because yeah. it needs to be, you know, all the time different. If it's all the same, uh, every time you go to a concert, you know, you just There's won't no go anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it needs to be new every time, you know. There is this excitement mm-hmm. um any style of music uh where the live concert there's just this intensity if mm-hmm. it's a good concert uh, and an engaging performer that's just hard to describe words and i love listening to recordings many genres of music but there is just something you have to yeah. go see a live performance that there's no way to replicate that energy yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially and rock and roll, but uh, yeah, it's true. No, yeah, <laughs> but that's a bit different. I really uh, agree. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you into any rock bands? Or are you? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I love I love pop music. Yeah, actually, I, I I'd be curious. Who, what what is your Spotify your your normal Spotify playlist? Uh, well, I don't have a Spotify playlist. <laughs> if you were to but, create uh, one, I have would my, it be full uh, of iPod, classical uh, music, or do you think it would be kind of a lot uh, of different no, things? No, it's not full of classical music. It's uh, a lot of pop music. Uh, I, I have my playlist when I drive, you know, like it's on my phone, basically. Uh, and it's a lot of Radiohead, of uh, oh, okay. Rufus Wainwright, Elias um, Smith. What do you think um, of the newest Radiohead album? Just had yeah, do you great. like it, Mood Shape Pool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought really it, yeah. the other one, King of Lebs, mm-hmm. I mean, I knew it was very well done, yeah. but it was just too weird for me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, I really need to sit down and listen to yeah. it carefully. I'll probably fall in love with it then. Yeah. I For me, I just find it so important to just, I mean, yes, you want to listen to mm-hmm. classical music and love it, but sometimes you just got to clear out your mind and just... Well, I mean, it's, it's also like, I don't really like uh, thinking about music in terms of styles, you know? Yeah. Uh, just listen to what you enjoy. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if the music is played well, you know, like I mean, classical music, you know, we say, you know, like you you sit down and you listen to a Beethoven symphony, and it's uh, you know, like you have to really just, it's kind of boring, you know. But it's if it's played by a you know normal symphony orchestra that just doesn't really understand the music, it's a little bit boring, I guess. You know, if you listen to a, a historical performance, you know, like of a nice group that plays, you know, maybe without a conductor, that all the musicians understand what they're doing, it just becomes super super uh, alive you know yeah um which is what we find in pop music that a lot of the time we don't find in classical music yeah no i totally so, but i totally agree yeah. with you and yeah. music even a recording should be exciting yeah of course and yeah. i think sometimes as classical musicians we get so caught up in the the technicalities because yep. yep. it you know, I'm not going to say we have the hardest genre of music to play in. I, I can't imagine how these jazz guys do all this crazy improv and different scales. But I think we just get so caught up in the sheet music that we sometimes forget. Yeah. Um, it's, it's for um, enjoyment and excitement. But that's what you said. It's the sheet music. And uh, on some levels, it's one of the easiest things to fake because you can actually learn to read music very well and to reproduce it on your instrument and not understand a thing about the music. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a problem, uh, you know, like it's a big problem in classical music because you have lots of actual professional orchestras that sound like they don't really understand what they're doing. Yeah, so just just because they're like, you know, repeating notes on the sheet of paper, which you can't do with any other style. You couldn't be a jazz musician if you don't know everything about, you know, the discography and, you know, like you've practiced your, uh, your improvs in different styles, you know, based on different uh, performers and classical music, you can totally fake that, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I've got a couple friends that they are classical musicians, but they were taught by ear when they first started. Mm -hmm. And there there was just something magical that happened through that when yeah. you have your head outside of the sheet music mm -hmm. and yep. they just seem to just understand music so much better. Yep. And always musical. It, it's uh it kinda makes me wonder, you know, the pedagogical approach for uh, classical guitar and all classical instruments is it wrong that I, I mean I know uh, certain approaches are by ear but for the most part at least with my experience with classical guitar teaching it's pretty much you learn how to read notes so you're just reading sheet music yeah, and reading yeah. kind of makes me think maybe it's well it depends uh, it. I think it really depends on the type of repertoire if you, if you talk about 20th century and 21st century music that's written really carefully you kind of have to know exactly how to read the score. Yeah. But if you talk about Baroque or, you know, uh, romantic music, you just have to uh, understand what the composer meant when he wrote the notes. You know, it's not as precise. It's just like a jazz chart, you know. Yeah. It would make no sense to play Autumn Leaves like the chart. You know? <laughs> it sounds so stupid. Uh, and it, it really something that happens a lot with classical music, romantic music and classical music. We just start playing the score because we're taught how to play, how to read the score. And it just doesn't sound like music at all, you know. Yeah, I think people totally forget that Baroque is yeah. probably the closest. Yeah, it's very close. Cla the classical jazz, genre yeah. is to jazz. Yeah, very you know? much so, yeah. And uh, I mean, the famous G minor violin sonata, mm -hmm. I think. Bach was forced to write out 
the 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 ornaments and everything because people didn't know what to do exactly later on or maybe someone well, no- i think someone yeah. notated them my bad yeah, maybe he just like but the way bach did it, he just wrote the chords yeah but that and, was yeah and, and yes. so just improvise yeah. it yeah. it was probably much more exciting and you know you hear so many violinists guitarists you know trying to play all yeah, these yeah, crazy rhythms that are, the har- same. that are <laughs> yeah. they're almost impossible to yeah. read i mean like 64th notes all you know it reminded me i understood this when i was uh you know much younger i played electric guitar and uh-huh. i started electric guitar after i learned the classical guitar but i got a i i, I was huge uh, fan of steve Vai, you know oh, okay. and i still am yeah. i really i just really love the guy he's fantastic and um and i got a, one of his uh books you know like uh, from a cd and all the scores you know like notate like uh, notate notated with tab and like scores and i started to read this like i wanted to play it you know and i could not make sense of anything because it was exactly like the bach uh, violin sonata you know it was just full of like 30 seconds 64th notes yeah. that just like weird rhythms you know and when you just listen to the cd you understand that it's just improv you know like and there's a chord and it's just like improvising on on one harmony you know if you want to read that score it's impossible you know and, and it's yeah. exactly the same with baroque music you know Reminds me of the second movement of Aranjuez as well. Yeah. You know, exactly, if you yeah. try to play all those rhythms exactly how they're written, it's going to sound awful. You know, I mean, yeah, you need yeah, to be yeah. on the beats, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the cases maybe where it's actually notated really carefully to actually sound like an improv. Yeah. Um, but you have to realize this at the end, you know, like when you play all the rhythms where they should be, then you have to make it sound like it's an improv. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I, <laughs> Which I've is the hard thing. heard many people playing it just sounds yeah. so static yeah, yeah, yeah awful it's yeah. just it is you say it's supposed to sound like an improv and just yeah. gorgeous and, and beautiful and maybe that's one of the cases in the in the cadenza where we could probably use a more uh raw tone you know maybe more like flamenco with a bit oh, of yeah. nail absolutely and things like this yeah. i've seen uh <clears throat> some guitarists just employed so many great flamenco techniques into mm-hmm. that especially the condensa throughout the whole concerto yeah. i mean it is a very flamenco driven concerto yeah. altogether yeah. and you know listening to the the paco uh, de lucia yeah. record of it i mean yes his tone is much better than what we're used to and he may do some things differently than what we made like but the flamenco technique he has it, yeah. it's just amazing i mean the rascados are phenomenal yeah, the condensas yeah. are phenomenal <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen the comparison video of Julia Breeds Rescuado. <laughs> no, oh, it's a, I, I shouldn't even be saying right. this. <laughs> Julian's one of my idols. Yeah. But for whatever reason, and I shouldn't be talking because I'm not good at Rescuados. <laughs> um, he, he has awful Rescuados. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a video of him interviewing Paco Pena, the other oh, one of the okay. other famous Flamenco guitarists, mm-hmm. and you know, him being Julia Beer's like, Oh, and I was practicing my form of Rescuados pronounces <laughs> it like that, and it just sounds so cocky. And then they show this side by side video, it shows Julia Bream doing those chord rolls up to the Rescuados at the end of the cadenza. Mm-hmm. Right before the rescue, then it goes to Paco de Lucia, so you're like, Oh no, oh no, and then you see Julia, but he's just trying to like strum the strings just with his index finger and I love him and he's an amazing guitarist yeah. but he does not do that well yeah. and then it does Paco de Lucia's is just crazy and then the, the last one Lucia does like a triplet or something it's, yeah yeah <laughs> if you type in Rasquado R-A-G-S-W-A-D-O I think on to YouTube you can find that video it's pretty as I said Julia Bree I I don't mean to be shooting down guitarists, you know, because these guitar- I'll never be at the level of these guitarists I'm talking about, but um, it, it is pretty funny. Yeah, I'll have to look this up. <laughs>
So a couple years ago, you had Sergio write a piece for you. Oh uh, yeah, the Street Brasileira number three. Yeah, that was um, when I was in Tucson in Arizona, and I got a um, a grant in Phoenix from the Piper Enrichment Award, which was really good. And um, I knew Sergio by then, you know, like, and I asked him to actually write something for me. And he, you know, said yes. Like, I wasn't at a party, you know, in Tucson. I was like, yeah. oh, Sergio, would you write something? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so he wrote this, and uh, he sent it to me when I was in um, Montreal. Okay. So I, I learned it when I lived in Montreal. And um, the whole process was super fun, because he would send something, you know, like a, a first draft, but, like, because he's a great guitar player, you know, obviously, so, you like, you expect something, like, that's gonna fall under your fingers and some sometimes it was just way too hard yeah <laughs> and i would say you know this is really difficult like his thing was like oh i want to make this like really accessible for players you know and i would play it i was like this is super hard <laughs> yeah. so do you know if he is using his guitar when he composes or is i, I he don't just... know man because this one instance you know like i told him you know this bar right here it's really hard and I sent him an email, you know, and he would write back. was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I just tried it and it's very hard. Here's a revised version. You know? <laughs> and in the meantime, I would like actually learn the difficult version. I was like, no, nah, oh, I don't want to cheat, you know? <laughs> yeah. <Shit. laughs> so uh, I just kept it the way it was in the first place. Yeah. You know, but, um, and it's a, it's a five movement suite? Or? Uh, there's, yeah, there's a, it's, it's a suite in C because there's a, all the movements starts with the letter C. Oh, okay. So that was, uh, they're not in C major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, was I was thinking, like, how'd you write something impossible in C major? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, anything's possible. Yeah, Why yeah. should it? I'm pretty sure you could. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the, the suite is really well balanced. The first movement wasn't in, uh, in the first uh, draft that he sent me, and I asked him to, uh, you know, write a short intro for it. And it's a really beautiful movement. So I played it in most of my concerts since it's been written in... Uh, it's just a crowd pleaser. People yeah. love that piece. Yeah. And is it published now? Yeah, it is published. Great. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, so it's a Street Brasileira 3. The two first ones are for two and three guitars. And okay. he wrote the Suite number 4, which I recorded too on my last CD. And the Suite number 5, which he sent to me uh, a few months ago. And, oh, okay. Um, I haven't started learning it yet because I've been super busy, but it's uh, it looks really, really cool. Awesome. So I'll be playing that soon. And have you taught... Uh, the third suite to anybody yet? Uh, yeah, that's gotta students, be really yeah. neat. It's uh, well, it is, uh, but also because I really have uh, my own way of playing it. Sometimes it's really hard to teach on pieces that you've been playing a lot because you really have your ideas about the piece. Yeah, and it's hard to just like, you know, keep an open mind and just like listen to the student and what they want to do with the piece. You know, uh, so not to influence them too much. Um, it's gotta yeah. be tough finding a balance between that especially as a composer when they're playing your piece because it's basically yeah. your baby you yeah. know it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe yeah it's funny how it goes sometimes <laughs> so you yeah. are now doctor yeah via tour, <laughs> yeah and you are soon to become professor via tour as well at a peabody institute that's amazing congratulations yeah thanks no it's it is amazing i really like i'm on a cloud <laughs> yeah um, yeah, I was just hired, and I, uh, I'm starting a, basically a new a new studio there. So I'll start on the fall of uh, 2019, and I'm recruiting a class right now. Cool. Uh, so are you? So you're going to be in there for the auditions this yeah. coming season? Yeah. So I'll be moving to Baltimore soon. Uh, yeah. I don't know when yet because I have a bit of time, so I'm not, I don't want to rush it, you know. Um, but it's it's really convenient because it's a six-hour drive away. 
I'm in Rochester, New York now. It's it's quite easy, you know. Yeah, not, um, not a huge move. It's not a huge. Don't I mean, have to with, fly your with the two cats. It'll be <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be something, but uh, but I can't wait. You know, it'll be super fun to to work with everyone there. And uh, it's a fantastic school. Yeah, it's amazing. So the, you know, people uh, talk about Baltimore not being the best city ever, but instead of I. When I auditioned there, it's a beautiful neighborhood. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, the, it's Mount Vernon. The architect, yeah, the yeah. architecture in the school yeah, with yeah. the spiral staircases. And yeah, have you seen beautiful. the library there? Yeah, well, oh, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's, it's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This might sound like a silly question, but are you going to have your own studio room then, or does everyone split a studio? Everyone has a studio. Oh, that's some. great. Yeah, you yeah. see, it's funny. We've got such a great department and a big studio. Yeah. The three guys split a low room just because well, USC and then, ran and out then, of space yeah. basically with different, uh, yeah, uh, with the pop and rock departments, um, oh, cool. starting up several years ago. <laughs> well, it's Scott... the same in Paris, you know, like, oh, uh, is it? Yeah. yeah, Paris Conservatory, everyone shares rooms, you know, and uh, well, I, I don't know yet actually, but um, I know Julian has his office, I know Manuel has it, his just office. cracks me up, you know, because Scott. At USC, he's got his espresso machine. Oh, it's no way. An espresso. <laughs> and Pepe says, it is the greatest espresso at USC. <laughs> uh, but I, I've had several lessons where Scott's come in and said, sorry, I need a bit of a caffeine fix. Oh, you yeah. know? <laughs> it's funny how it goes sometimes. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. but occasionally, I, I hope he's not listening, but I kind of steal one of those oh. espresso pots. It's not, it's not a bad cup of coffee for being instant, I got to say. Yeah, well, I mean, it's good. always best to grind your own beads. Yes, yeah. <laughs> especially when they're fresh. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again, Tomas, for being a part of the show. Please join me in two weeks. I'll keep you posted who our guests will be. We'll end today's episode with an excerpt from Sweet Brasiliana Number no. 3 by Sergio Assad, dedicated to Tomas. This movement is titled Coco. I'm David Steinhart. We'll see you next time for Classical Guitar and beyond. Thank you.